Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, my friends. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you to another powerful episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Over our time living on this planet and going through the days of being human, I believe grief is something we will all experience one day, if we have not yet already. From experiencing loss, grief is an experience to understand, harness, and in time, transmute. Today we share Wendy Stern, founder of the Grief Support Network in Colorado. Wendy shares her story fearlessly as she went through an unspeakable loss. And I also want to just acknowledge that when we talk about grief, we're not only just talking about the loss of a person or a loved one. It can be the loss of a relationship. It could be the loss of a job. It could be a life-changing illness or injury where you're, you're, you know, the loss of the life you had. It could be a loss of a part of yourself that you're grieving, the innocence of your childhood or your, you know, whatever. I, I, I really believe it's all valid and one is not a bigger grief than the other. Enjoy this imprinting episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast as we dive deep into the world of grief in order to fully live and love our lives. Namaste, Yoga Revealed podcast community. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and I'm coming from you in Boulder, Colorado. Hope you're doing very well today, wherever you are. So it's a beautiful honor today to be sitting across from a beautiful person named Wendy Stern who has had quite the journey through her own transformation. She is the founder of the Grief Support Network and we're going to dive into the experience of grief and how that our yoga practice relates to that and to our own life and how we show up and I'm sure into many more deeper realms that I'm unable to speak to, <laughs> but we will talk about this. So Wendy, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and your experience with uh, the Yoga Revealed community. Yeah, thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you. It really is. So for those who don't know who you are or what the Grief Support Network is, can you just first share with us how yoga found you? 
and how yoga words are revealed to you that little synopsis which is not really ever a little synopsis but yeah share us with that share that with us please wonderful well um that started back for me in high school um my background was actually as a gymnast first and i always just found great pleasure being connected in my body and in high school i started just kind of experimenting with it and um and then my freshman year of college i was on a road trip with two girlfriends across the country and we like my friend bought a book on ashtanga yoga <laughs> and we in the desert in the mountains every landscape on, in almost every state of the country we practiced yoga on the earth and it was just my first real connection with um, how it can make me feel and be connected to myself so that was the beginning and um, in college i was blessed with some really beautiful teachers who really expanded um, my understanding of what was possible um, and when i moved out to boulder in 2001 i was really primed and ready to dive in deeper and um, my dream had always been to be a therapist. That was always my path, a psychologist. And once I found yoga, there was something in it that was so powerful that just doing straight therapy wasn't gonna cut it. Um, and I found out about a yoga therapy training program called Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy. And that really set the stage for me to explore um, kind of mind-body connection and how yoga could open the door to deeper experiences and understanding and to really space for people um so i did that at the same time doing a yoga teacher training and was off and running beautiful yeah that's amazing yeah and so from that timeline can you share with us um uh, the journey that brought grief into your life and what what was what was that all about yeah wow well you know luckily i had before i had a big loss. I was lucky to have had time to build such a foundation. Um, my yoga practice, my relationship with my husband, um, we were college sweethearts. Mm. So we got together when I was 19. Wow. And so as I was growing my relationship, I was growing my personal practice with yoga and also learning what it was to be a teacher and to be a body center therapist and just fully immersed in so much of like the living yoga, not just the practice, but like learning how to live more of a yogic life. Mm. And um, that was a really precious time. I was living in the mountains west of Boulder. Mm. It was a time to just be in deep connection to the earth. I lived in the mountains. I just, um, it was really just a time of self-discovery and honestly really carefree. Mm. And when my husband and I were ready to have our first child, um, you know, it was such a blissful time. And... Um, um, when we first got pregnant, um, you know, every, the stage was just set for like such this perfect, beautiful life. Mm. Um, my practice had like gotten me to a place where I just felt really solid. And we, um, our first experience of loss was actually not the loss of our, our son, but we had a miscarriage. Mm. And we were actually on a belated honeymoon. Um, on Maui and three months in out of nowhere it just happened mm. and I remember like seeing like the sight of blood and just like my world falling apart and totally going into for the first time a really deep dark scary place where I just had no control over something that was happening and my time on Maui I'd fallen so in love with the spirit of this child and it was this little girl that I felt and I fell in love with and 
the people were with on Maui was just, it was, it was also magical. Um, but after it happened, we actually stayed a few weeks longer and it was like that first spark of, um, my resilience Hmm. is what I felt. And I even remember like sitting at this little cafe with Brian and us saying, okay, this thing happened, but like, we're going to make an opportunity out of this. Like something important has to happen because of this. And like, it was that first time of feeling that sense of like kind of pulling myself up from the inside and like finding my own inner strength. Um, and that was an, an important moment. Um, I had no idea at the time what was to come. Um, and, but it was important that I found that I think in myself. And, um, about four months later we got pregnant again. Um, and this time I, I knew immediately it was a different spirit, a different baby I was carrying. And it was my son, Noah. And I remember actually grieving that it wasn't that little girl. Like I knew it was different mm. and I was sad. Mm. But the second he came into the world, it was like, I mean, I had never experienced love like that. It was one thing to fall in love with the spirit. Another thing to like hold my beautiful baby in my arms. And he was, he had an auspicious birth and he was a really magical little being. He was teensy, like four pounds, five ounces teensy. And he just used to like look deep into people. Hmm. Even as like a three month old, he would just like really see into people's hearts and was like unconditionally loving and accepting. He had such a presence in his tiny little being. And um, my time with him was really precious. Um, Living in the mountains, I wasn't working at the time. I'd I'd taken a break from my practice and teaching and I was just a mama in the woods with my babe. And um, I don't know, I mean, it it was such a different time and um, it was like simple yet profoundly important and like every little thing he did was like important and um, as he got older and this was around like six seven months now he started doing these little like kind of strange things that just it was curious he 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 performed these like almost like little mini healings on people and this all sounds a little woo woo but (laughs) this this one day we were like walking down the street and he literally put his little hands on this woman's face and like drew her towards him oh she was crying we passed a woman who was crying he like drew this woman towards him with her hands like kind of like gazed in her eyes for like a minute and she like thanked me and like walked away you know like he, he used to like be able to see pain and then he would just bring his joy he would bring his joy and it would soften it it would change it it was like there was something in his presence that just said it's okay everything's okay and in hindsight I think he always had one step in the other world one foot in the other world I think he never really fully actually landed here and um, when he was nine months old he suddenly out of nowhere passed away Um, he died uh, in my arms nursing one morning and you know there there was a little bit of backstory he had had um, an issue with his back and we had to do surgery when he was young, which mm. was scary. But he got through it great. Everything was great and fine. And one morning, I was nursing him in bed, and he just stopped breathing. Wow. I know. It was really sudden. And, um, like, everything fell apart, you know, in that moment. I mean, uh, I had never known 
trauma like that or um, had anything like really that bad happen to me and my husband too. And um, it was, it's the deepest, darkest part of my memory that holds that. And um, my mom was there visiting. And part of my story is that um, my mom lost her first child and her grandmother lost her first child. So it's, it's been in my lineage. And a part of my work in the world is to break it a bit and to really kind of end this energetic cycle so mm. to speak mm. um, but but I'll, I'll never forget you know right when he was leaving and after he had actually really passed um, my mother coming into where I was sitting with Brian we were like on the floor in the bathroom like in our terror you know it was just I, I don't even have words for like the depths of that um, but I remember her like coming and like telling me that he was gone. And I remember like there was something in her eyes and her telling me, you know, he's really gone, but you're going to be okay. And uh, I believed her because she had lost a child. And my parents are two of the happiest people you've ever met. I mean, more love because of it, not in spite of, but because of. And I saw the way that they loved my sister and I, and I saw the way they raised us. And it, again, I felt that resilience thing like rise up in me and even in that moment of our deepest darkest nightmare um yeah there, there was something alive that that helped us to know that we'd get through it hmm. somehow wow yeah journey yeah and, and you know and that's just that was just the beginning hmm. is what i feel it's like there was a journey to get there and then that experience itself opened the door for a whole path for me that I would have never really chosen, but that as I'm walking it, it feels like an honor and a privilege, and it feels important. Um, Noah's life and death really inform my purpose. As hard as it could be to, I don't know, consider, do you feel like the universe has conspired to bring you here despite any uh, traumatic experiences that you have gone through? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really dove into my spirituality after this happened. And I will say my first reaction when all this went down was um, like a part of my being followed Noah into the other world. Like I wasn't on this earth for several months. I left. Mm. Um, and that was a really intense place to be between worlds. But it, during that time, I also really developed, I think, a deeper um, understanding of my own spirituality and my own beliefs around it. And one thing that I really came to believe is that, you know, my, my humanness didn't choose this, but my soul did. Hmm. And, and I do believe that there are kind of these contracts that we create as soul before we come in. And this was a part of mine that I somehow signed on for this. My humanness, my mother, the mother in me would have never signed on to this in a million years. Mm -mm. But my soul did, and Noah did too. You know, a part of his purpose was to come in, make the huge impact that he made on the people that were there when he was alive, and then the millions of people that he is impacting after his death. And that feels important. Hmm. You know? Wow. So how, what was the timeline and the process of you finding, what inspired you to take your own grief and provide a, a platform for other people to show up within and do tell us all about 
the grief support network. Yeah, I will. I, I'll get to that. But cool. there, there are some really important things that happened first. Mm. Um, the day of Noah's funeral, um, we were like sitting in our room, like away from the house full of like 300 people. And uh, we were just like, okay, like what the fuck do we do? Yeah. <laughs> and we're just like looking at each other, just like shell shocked of like, okay. We were like sitting on the floor, like grounding, just like, okay. And it was my husband who was like, all right, we need to travel. We need help. We need to like get out of this and we need to go somewhere and figure out how to do this. And, you know, I was always the one that was more the spirit seeker. Um, you know, he was into like meditation loosely and like kind of loosely and all this stuff, but, it, but yoga was really my thing. Hmm. But it was him that was like, we need to study meditation, Buddhist meditation. Like we need to go to cultures that know how to do this because like we can't do this here. And, um, and it was interesting because we had so many people showing up for us, family, friends, everybody showed up. We felt so loved, but nobody knew how to be with us. You know, no one really knew how to be with the amount of pain that we were in. And we, we, we learned immediately that like, um, culturally, that there was like a disconnect that happened when people were going through grief, that it was scary, it was uncomfortable, it was taboo. And so even though everyone was there, it was like we were suffocated um, a little bit in mm. everybody else's pain as well. Mm. Um, and so we, we decided that day that we were going to go on this like four-month voyage wow. to, um, to Bali as our first stop, um, and then all around Southeast Asia, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, and then India. We had this like <laughs> pilgrimage, like we are going to go and heal ourselves. And um, two weeks later, mm, two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, we took off wow. on this trip. We're just like, we're out. We put our How backpacks on. How long were you on. gone? Well, I'll get to that. We had <laughs> planned for four months. Um, Bali, our first stop, was the softest, most nurturing, loving place we could have possibly landed. Mm-hmm. I mean, within minutes, our whole bodies exhaled and we felt really deeply held by the culture and the people. Um, immediately people could see that we were in pain and people leaned in towards us rather than moving away. People wanted to hear our stories. They weren't afraid of death because I saw it as a part of life. They really embraced us in our grief and really gave us a space to talk about it. And they weren't triggered. They weren't afraid. Um, they had rituals on how to deal with this that we got to kind of learn about. We, um, we went to every temple we could find. And our prayer was for another child. Mm. Um, to be a mother without a child is the most painful thing I know. So we prayed and we conceived our daughter Hannah our second week in Bali. Wow. I know. She is a really special part of the story. Um, and we found out, um, actually when we got to Thailand, our next stop in Koh Samui, Thailand, we found out that we were pregnant one morning and immediately I recognized her spirit. She was the little girl who I um, was pregnant with the first time who I lost through my miscarriage and I knew it. She came back and, um, it was a really, it was a really bittersweet time. I actually found out on mother's day that I was pregnant with her. There was like so many synchronistic things. And I was like grieving. It was my first Mother's Day and I didn't have Noah, but there was a new life inside of me. And um, we, we traveled for a month through Thailand and we were getting ready 
to go to our next place, um, our visa was running out and I had such bad morning sickness. I was kind of a mess. And my, my loving husband said, honey, it's time to go home. So we did. And I really wanted to go to India, but he's like, you can't even handle Bangkok. (laughs) So, um, so we went, we went home and, um, we were deeply touched by the people in Bali and Thailand, and we did get to study some Buddhist meditation, and we just met amazing people. We met different healers. We like immersed ourselves in all the healing opportunities, and um, something important shifted in us, um, and like something got lit, and we found out we were pregnant again. There was like a little bit of like hope at the end of the tunnel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we got home. It was really hard to be there. We felt like worlds away. We had gone through this big experience and we didn't really fit anymore in some ways to where we once did. Like we were, we felt like our own evolution was really happening um, through this loss and through the different people and cultures we were experiencing. So we came home and we just kind of like hunkered down in our mountain home and kind of got through the pregnancy. Um, But when Hannah was born is when life started again. And we found joy again. And um, there was a reason to live for. And this little girl saved my life and my yoga practice. And I think it's important to say throughout all of this, my practice sustained me. And in the early phases, what my practice would look like was like rolling out my mat in front of my altar and just showing up there. Like that was the goal, Mm. to just show up on the mat. Some days I I would move and practice and breathe. Um, some days I would literally lie down and throw the most epic tantrum of my life, kicking and screaming. Some days I would really flow and feel good. And some days I would just do some restorative postures and just give myself a space to be. But my yoga mat and my space became my container for my grief. And this tool, um, was the most important thing that got me through everything. Um, and I had a wise cousin who gave me a piece of advice that I share with people frequently. And it was especially in the early phase where it felt like um, if I opened up that pit of grief, if I went down that hole and yoga brings you into it, um, that I would never come out again. And I was scared of the intensity of the emotions that I felt and the intensity of the pain. And so she gave me this advice to set a timer or to have my husband come and tell me when it was done, but to like create even more of a container with like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever I chose. So I would do that. I would set a timer, I would go in and I knew that there was an end point. And then after that, I would go to distract myself. I'd go for a walk, I'd call a friend, I'd cook a meal. Like um, that container became my sanctuary for really being with my feelings, Hmm. feeling them deeply and knowing that I could then step out of that. Did you feel alone a lot when you're on your mat? I didn't feel alone on my mat. Mm. It's actually the one place I didn't. I actually felt deeply connected. Mm. I mean, a part of this for me was also just knowing that I had my husband there and we had been together mm, six years, seven, I don't know, many years before mm. this had happened. But I think my mat actually made me feel in connection with all, with all beings and all mothers who have lost children. Like it became like my grounding tool Mm. to be one with you know the bigger aspect of the world that it wasn't just me alone it was actually when i was in my community that i felt alone 
which was hard. Not always. And I shouldn't Mm -hmm. say that. And I don't want to throw any of my friends under the bus. This community was incredible Mm -hmm. to us. But I remember feeling alone in certain situations because everyone went back to their life after a few months. And I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Mine followed me. You know, my pain, my loss, and being with my friends and all their children that were the same age. We all had babies together. You know, it was really painful. Um, But my mat was actually respite. Um, and, And one thing that I learned just by doing it is that you can't you can't go around the pain with uh with grief you, you can't go around it. you can't avoid it it doesn't go away by avoiding it or trying to skirt around it you actually have to go like right into it and one of the things i teach is that you actually is to teach people how to actually feel more instead of less you know when we're hurting it's such human nature and instinct to to move away from that because it's uncomfortable but with grief um, it's different than other emotions. It's a little less sticky and it will actually move through you if you let it. It, it moved through me. And what it took was having to revisit the pain and going into the feelings again and again and again. And then trusting that I was going to like survive it and that, that the, the grief would begin to move through me as I was willing to look at it and to confront it and to kind of like the people in Bali to lean in towards it and to become intimate with it, to almost welcome it in. Um, and to know that, that like love is the other side of grief. So to trust in that and to trust that as I was dealing with the feelings and the pain, that, that love was also growing. Like my heart started growing bigger as it was breaking open. Hmm. And that was a beautiful place to be. I, I got to feel things I'd never felt before. And within that, I also learned that there's potential for, um, for, for really radical change to occur when you're broken open, when you're raw, when you're willing to fall apart. Um, and that within that, you can become anything. Mm. And um, I feel like grief is often at the root of most suffering and often at the heart of, of most spiritual practice. Because it, it forces you to change. Because it's too painful to stay where you are. And so, to make ourselves feel better, we have to change. There, there's often like an identity crisis that can come with that. Mm. But you have to change because it's too hard to stay where you are. And then, that becomes the catalyst for, for transformation. Grief can be a catalyst, is a catalyst for transformation. Um, because it, it forces you to do the deeper shadow work that none of us would willingly do if mm. we didn't have something that kind of brought us there. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so this has really been, and, and all this was kind of just happening as I was healing, mm-hmm. but it's really been in the past year that it started to take shape in, my, in me as to like, how do I teach this? How do I offer this? And how does this lead to something bigger and important that can help other people? Um, in the past year. In the past year. But, but I will back up to say that I started the Grief Support Network about three and a half years ago. And, and where we started was really more of a referral network of holistic health practitioners, which still is alive and well today. Um, and this came out of my experience of leading a yoga therapy group for brief parents, which mm. really 
kind of planted a seed for Grief Support Network, or GSN, as we call it. Um, and this was about a year and a half after my older daughter was born, Hannah. And I decided to go back to work and do something. And I want to really speak to the power of a modality that I was trained in called Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy. It absolutely laid the foundation for everything I'm creating with the Grief Support Network. It really taught me how to take people through a body-centered process and experience and how to use yoga as a way to get people really deeply into their bodies and to hold space for um, people to go through their process without being diagnosed or fixed, just really organically supported to evolve and to uncover their own, their own stuff inside. Um, grief lives so much in the body that mm. it was like a natural fit to kind of go into those old tools that I had from my training in that. And um, that has been an important part of um, how this whole thing has come to be. Um, but but what I what I did after soon after the loss was I ran a group for brief parents. I ran a Phoenix Rising yoga therapy based group that used yoga, meditation, and then group facilitation and connection to take people through an eight week process. Really beautifully created by the founder Michael Lee, hmm. and I I wanted to do something with my experience because I was ready, and I ran a group with eight parents. And um, it really was a powerful experience mm. and, and honestly changed my life. Um, I didn't know till then how important it was to sit with other people who could actually really understand what you what I'd been through and with each other, how they support each other just by being in that circle and sharing. And then the yoga and meditation were just the most powerful tools for them to to be with their emotions and to let it move through them, to express it, to process it. To, to let the grief process begin to move rather than just sitting in the pain. Mm. And what started happening naturally is all these participants, they needed referrals. They were like, do you know an acupuncturist? Do you know a therapist? Do you know an energy worker? And I found that I was beautifully connected in Boulder and then we had all these amazing healers around and it was so much fun to match make. And I found that I was good at it. I had a kind of an act <laughs> for connecting people with people that with the right fit for them. Not just like, oh, it's a great therapist, but taking people's energetics and personalities and all that. So I started doing that. And that was the birth of the Grief Support Network. And um, we, about a year, I spent a year visioning on it. I got pregnant with my third child, my daughter, Layla. Mm -hmm. And while I was pregnant with Layla, um, I started gathering this network. I met with amazing people in town. It was like, honestly, the funnest part of this whole job was creating the network. And I launched in May of 2012, kind of a soft launch, with 50 fantastic practitioners in this network hmm. who all wanted to be there to make a difference. Um, at the time, our mission was, was really to help people figure out what they needed to show them where to find it and to help them pay for it. It was, it, was, it was kind of basic. And it was a mirror for where I was at in my process. It was like basic needs. How do we help people get resourced? Simple. Um, but as we started connecting people and doing things, two things became apparent. One is I did not have a sustainable business model at all. 
Um, as you know, I had no experience in running a nonprofit or business of any kind leading up to this. So it was a lot of trial and error. And I, and I realized pretty early on that this wasn't going to fly. We needed <laughs> funding. We needed something. Um, and then number two was that people needed community. That community be- started to become like the pulse of the organization. People need a safe space, a safe container to come together and to share in their grief and to have tools to move through it. So that led to one of our first community programs called our Moving Through Grief Together program. And we did that for about a year and a half and it was awesome. It was donation-based. We wanted to be accessible for anybody regardless of finances. And in addition to just referring people to fantastic practitioners, we had a place for people to gather, to come together. And we started kind of playing around with all the different kind of tools and values that we knew to be important in helping people heal. Hmm. Um, Embodiment, meditation, ritual, community sharing and connection. And everything we did was about creating a safe container, giving people a space where they can just show up as they are. And, you know, there aren't that many places where you can show up, you know, a puddle on the floor, show up messy. You know, and especially I think in, in, in Boulder where everybody seems to have it together, everyone's driven, everyone's like strong and motivated and doing amazing things. You know, I, I knew for myself and many other people felt this too, that it was really hard to not be shiny, to be a mess and to feel awful. And it, it became important to give people a very authentic place to come mm. and just be and to feel really accepted and loved. And, and this today is really at the heart of all of our programming. Um, I, I am happy to say we launched our yoga program last year. And for me, this is my absolute passion. Um, we did a couple of pilot runs of six-week series. And we learned through that that people wanted a really deep dive hmm. into community. So we're in the middle of our first nine-month program. Wow. I have 10 amazing people, 11 amazing people are with me for nine months wow and in this program we really are co-creating beautiful authentic community and um, each week when we practice we, we we practice meditation together we have different themes that kind of guide it that give us different aspects of our personal growth to work with um, we have we do some journaling together we have deep deep sharing which is at the heart of it and then we use the asana practice to move the grief so much comes up through the meditation and sharing it, it can be very emotional some students just cry when they walk in the door because they know they can mm. um, and the yoga has become this powerful vehicle for like moving the emotion out uh, for, for yes being self-reflective and like using it as a way to connect in, um, but also for, for releasing it. And one thing that I've learned is so unique about yoga as like a practice for healing grief is it gives you um, kind of a dual container. It gives you an individual container where you're just with yourself, you know, you're just, you're in it. But it also brings you in connection with the collective. Mm. So simultaneously, you can be within yourself and feel connected to the people in the room and beyond. And that has really served myself and my students well in this journey that we're on together. Wow. 
That's fantastic. Nine months, once a week. Yeah. And in addition, we have an online component, a community forum where people can chat. We have journaling, exercise mm. each week, and an online meditation so people can continue their practice outside. And um, students are asking for more social time, you know, get-togethers. This um, program is a total work in progress, mm. and it keeps evolving with the experience of my students. They're, they're informing mm. the development of this program which feels really organic. Awesome. Yeah. So what would you say are perhaps, hmm, maybe for people who are most definitely experiencing grief in some regards to some situation mm. in their life, but yeah. they don't know how, how or there may, there maybe there's this sense of like internal denial to not want to dive deeper into the shadow or to see mm. that shadow, you know, how, how what kind of, uh, uh, suggestions, advice, guidance, you know, inspiration would you offer to anyone listening or anyone listening who may in the unseen, you know, future yeah. experience grief, but not know how to accept grief mm. once it's here. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the hardest things to accept. So anyone feeling that they're not alone. Um, and I also want to just acknowledge that when we talk about grief, we're not always only just talking about the loss of a person or a loved mm-hmm. one. It can be the loss of a relationship. It could be the loss of a job. It could be a life-changing illness or injury where you're, you're, you know, the loss of the life you had. It could be a loss of a part of yourself that you're grieving, the innocence of your childhood or your, you know, whatever. I, I, I really believe it's all valid and one is not a bigger grief than the other. And, and it is one of the hardest things to accept. And I think, I guess the advice I could give is to, is to trust yourself and to trust that you will move through it. Because I think that was one of the hardest parts for me is, is like even believing that I was going to be okay, even though I knew I would, but, um, but knowing that I wasn't going to feel this way forever. That was important to me. And having people like my mother and other people in my life who could be a mirror, that, that, that was important. I needed hope. I needed a sense that this wasn't going to be forever. Um, I also would say, you know, lean into community. Mm-hmm. Um, even though many of us isolate when we're grieving because it's uncomfortable with other people who are uncomfortable with it. So I would say find the pockets of people who can hold space for you. Find a container whether it be the grief support network or anything else, whether it be one person sitting there when we're grieving, we need a witness. Hmm. We need someone to reflect back what we're feeling and it gives us permission then to actually feel it more. And I would say, don't be afraid of kind of the dark pit because you have choice as to how long you stay in it when you come out and when you go back in, you have choice. My mother actually shared with me this, this visualization she did after she lost my older sister, Amy, and she had this whole pit visualization where she'd visualize like going down into this place and, um, and choosing when she was going to go in and out of it. (laughs) Um, and and I, and I think that there's also no right or wrong way to do this. I know that, uh, any book that tells you the six steps to heal grief, like bullshit. Um, it's individual. It's every person has their own timeline. There are some basic things that we all feel and relate to. So I don't want to um, put down actually some of those books that actually have some real good substance to it, but it's not linear at all. It's, it's all over the place depending on where you're at. Mm. And I'm proof of that. I mean, I've been through these things all out of order from what the books would say. Um, 
but you go through it all and with supportive community. And if you're willing to come out of isolation and to lean in towards people and to receive support, then you heal. Um, you not only heal, you grow, you change mm. in the most beautiful and unexpected ways. Mm. So with stories and thoughts, you know, that are arising through, uh, the, the, the experience that we're living. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if, if one is experiencing grief, you know, as thoughts are coming across our field of awareness, you know, it's either like we're in aversion or mm -hmm. we're in denial or mm -hmm. we're in this like attachment to the story and being mm -hmm. swallowed whole. Mm -hmm. How do you relate to the choice to, you know, be in a state of letting go mm -hmm. or a state of, you know, seeking out of the pit, mm -hmm. you know, self-inquiry. How, what, what is your mode of self-inquiry on how we get out of attachment, denial, aversion hmm. to thoughts? Well, being willing to sit with it and to watch the whole thing happen. Nice. Um, you know, my, like I said in the beginning, I transcended up. That was my way out of my pain, but it wasn't until I actually came back into my body that I got to, that the healing process really began. In the beginning, I was just coping. Um, I'd say, go into your body. Grief lives in the body and go into those places inside. Be willing to sit with all the discomforts of everything you just said. Um, the other thing I'll say is that eventually, you know, we have to move beyond our story. Um, and I, for a long time, was really like attached to my story and stuck in my story of my pain, my loss, my experience. And I had, it was such a liberating moment when I realized that I'm not my story. Um, yes, I had a big experience. Yes, it changed me as we all have big experiences that change us. But, but that doesn't need to define me. And when I started GSN, I was slightly afraid of you know, kind of having this image or, cre or being this presence of like grief. I didn't want people to look at me and see like grief, oh. you know, I wanted mm. people to see me and see transformation, see, yeah, you were there, but now, you know, and so I, I had to really work with that of like my story and how I'm showing up in the world with my story and to really know that I'm not, I'm so much more than my story. Um, it was just something that happened and I get to grow beyond that now. Mm. Um, I had someone actually pay me a really beautiful compliment the other day that I'll share. Mm. And, and it really is kind of, I've been sitting with it the last few days. I, um, I was networking with this guy and, and he was doing this really cool project. And I was telling about grief support network and about maybe 20 minutes into the conversation, I mentioned that I started this because I lost a child and he was shocked. And normally it's like the first thing I say, but it mm. didn't come up. Mm. And he said to me, he said, I know a lot of women who've lost children. He's like, you're the first one I've met who doesn't wear it as a scar across their face. And I was, it was interesting. And I was like, huh, hmm. he's like, you've done your work. And it really touched me because I, uh, I don't feel like I'm scarred for life because of this. And this is part of my message to other people that, yeah, awful things happen. And you may feel like you will never be happy again. You may feel like... You're like, um, like ruined, you know? Um, and I remember even being in some support groups and like, it was like so doomsday. And um, I want to let people know that that, that that isn't how it has to be, that there's so much opportunity to, to not only be happy again, but maybe even happier. 
because you really do your work to change and grow. And I feel like my work is ongoing. It's forever. But I, I feel like I'm at a place in my life with my two beautiful daughters and my husband that I've created the life <clears throat> I want. And Noah's always a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my connection with him as a spirit being is very different than when he was here. But I feel like I'm channeling him with the Grief Support Network. I feel like this is him. This is his work coming to life through me. Mm-hmm. And um, that connection is forever. And... Um, the human heart has an incredible capacity to heal, to expand, and to love. Hmm. So that's my message. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. Do you feel that in course of practice or just life, there are uh, scents, smells, sensory objects mm. that bring up triggers of older stories that we may have transcended through? Mm-hmm. But then if they're arising, if they're triggering, have we transcended them? A. Mm-hmm. B. How do we not identify and attach? Well, well, I think initially we do identify and attach, right? Totally. And then it's just the awareness that's happening. I know for myself, smells, sights, all the above absolutely trigger me. Um, to this day, a siren will sometimes bring me back to the ambulance coming sure. to my house. Or smells, there's this apricot, Burt's Bees oil I used, Anoa. And to this day, that smell, that brings me right back to him. And, you know, our humanness gets triggered. Our, you know, our, you know, the mother in me will always ache and long for my baby that I can't hold. You know, and anniversaries, birthdays, the anniversary when he died, all these things, they bring us back, they evoke our trauma, and they make us sometimes feel it again. But I will say over time, the triggers don't last as long. You move through it quicker. And even if you do attach and go there, you also, with a mindfulness practice, have the ability to see what's happening, to breathe, to pause, to notice and to acknowledge the pain, to acknowledge the grief. And then it has permission to go. Hmm. I really believe that our grief wants to be noticed. It wants to be felt and experienced, and then it will move through. If we avoid it, and if we pretend it's not there, and if we harden ourselves or try and always be strong and brave, and you know, our whole individualistic culture tells us we all have to have it going on all the time, you know, then we become hardened and our grief can't move and we actually can get stuck and, mm. and stagnant. So I, I say to stay soft and stay connected mm. and do your practice. Keep practicing. Yeah, keep practicing. I mean, it, it is my absolute saving grace in my life. Mm. Um, and, you know, either hiking in the woods or, or yoga is where Noah visits me the most. It's where I relive my grief and it's also where I find the most pleasure and joy. So it does seem that you practiced self-practice mm-hmm. with yes. yourself. Could you speak to those who maybe are experiencing grief and the difference of experience that may be felt in a self-guided practice, which mm-hmm. I believe does require some amount of sure. knowing, understanding of Definitely. you know alignment, how to breathe, how to flow, mm-hmm. and, and how to you know what your body's asking for right now, and a huge level of confidence. Sure. I truly believe that versus experiencing this this uh, this visceral potency of grief mm-hmm. and going into a public space. Oh yeah, I mean, Whew. no way for me, no way. My um, 
at the time I lived in Rollinsville, so I had this deck with this view. I mean, that was my spot. But I will say, this is why I created the program, because I couldn't go into a public class. Even with the most fantastic teachers in this town, you know, they say, oh, it's okay to cry in class or whatever. But when you're bawling and you're falling apart, people are looking at you like you're crazy. It doesn't feel safe. No. Even if the teacher is everything in their power. I also believe that when you're grieving and you're getting into your body and you're moving this through, you kind of need to talk about it. You need, um, you need to be witnessed in that. So I feel like the talking, sharing, deep meditation component is, is really key to, to having yoga be a tool to guide people through a process. Uh, this is why this program exists. Uh, if I couldn't have done this for myself, I don't know what I would have done. And many don't have the practice to do that. So um, this is why we're looking to grow this program and to offer a lot of different opportunities for people who are grieving to be really deeply held mm. um, and to be in a space where they can be authentic. I feel like it's the one thing I can offer to people. I can offer a loving and accepting space and I can show up as I am and share of myself and hold space for whatever they have. You know, mm-hmm. as a community, we can hold it. And this group that's happening now, I mean, really intense things come up. And what's most beautiful is to see other participants support each other. Mm. They really love each other mm. and they show up. And it's like the one place they get to come and just be. And um, that feels exciting. And uh, we actually have our next program coming up in October. Our next nine-month group will start. Um, And we're looking to really grow this, not only here in Boulder, but throughout the country, and to offer this to people all over over the country. So are these always face-to-face meetings, or are they programs, or are they online uh, accessibilities for people to, you know, if someone's in wherever? Right. This is our evolution right now. Um, in January, we'll be uh, launching our GSN signature program, which is going to have yoga and meditation as kind of a foundational component, but it's also going to include other things like other forms of embodiment, practices, ritual, um, writing, time in nature. And the way that we're, that we're offering this is in like weekend-long immersions or little mini-retreats three or four times a year, um, mostly Boulder-based, and to give people a deeply held container to grieve in and to give them like a little taste of some of these tools that can help them through it and a taste of being in a community that knows how to support that. Um, From there, we're going to, after each immersion, we're going to offer different modules that people can choose to do a deeper dive. So the nine-month yoga program will be a module that will be available. We have a module on resiliency we'll be offering soon, Um, one on nutrition and nourishing yourself. We have a lot of really amazing practitioners who are going to collaborate and share their gifts. And our vision is that um, the immersions will be in person, the weekend-long immersions, and the different modules will grow to a form that can be put online and accessible as an online program. Hmm. You know, the yoga program, we will create a version of that online too, um, but I also think what, what's even more important is that we'll be moving throughout the country and teaching this way of teaching yoga and having more little opportunities for people to participate live. The online thing is so important for accessibility, but it doesn't take the place of the in-person connection. So we're looking to create both is, I think, the, the short answer. It's awesome. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. And I think the more we 
technology savvy I become, the more available that'll be. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It is, uh, whew, it's almost like, you know, in, in revealing so much density, you know, there's this beautiful shimmer of incredible hope and, and inspiration that you're totally living off of and exuding yourself to, to move forward with this great dharma and this great purpose and passion and service, really. Thank you. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Thank you for, for sharing with us and your your experience and what you've gone through and how you've harnessed it. Yeah, thank you. Totally. Wow. So in, in concluding, we always like to end the Yoga Revealed podcast with, you know, one golden nugget that you would be able to offer our listeners with as they carry forward on their path of being a yogi, being a human and, and living. Oh, one wow. little nugget. All right. Well, I would say that my nugget is to feel your feelings deeply, Mm. to lean into community, to let those around you love you and hold you, to see others and let them see you, and to be yourself, to be authentic, and to let your grief open you and expand your heart so that you can live the fullest life possible. Mm. Um, so that's my nugget. I also want to share just with everyone that we have a really big event coming up on September 18th. Mm. So if anyone wants to come and join our GSN community and be a part of our gratitude celebration and gala, it's going to be at shine restaurant and it's a fantastic group of people and all funds go to build these programs and to help people pay for these services. You can't afford it. It's amazing. So anyone wants to show up and be a part of it, it's so welcomed and appreciated. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Wendy, for taking some time and sharing with us the the beauty of the Grief Support Network and and your experience. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been such an honor and I just appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for taking time and sharing your ears with us here on the Yoga Revealed podcast. It is an honor to hear and share Wendy Stern's story of experiencing loss and how she uses it as an opportunity to create something of true service to many. The Grief Support Network holds nine-month yoga trainings as well as events that circulate around Colorado and other areas. You can find out more by visiting griefsupportnet.org. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and I thank you for being so open to diving deep into yoga. Just by practicing, do we make the biggest impact in the world? Keep doing what you're doing, because you make a difference every day. Until next time, my friends, love life and shine on. Namaste. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.